0: Napoleon Bonaparte was once shown a demonstration of a submarine and he didn't like it and declared that boats would never be able to go (coughs) go underwater, which they do. A Bull's general manager drafted Michael Jordan in 1984 and he said that he wished Michael was taller and was better at defense because he would never turn this franchise around. Went on to win six championships and they've never won another one without him. A United Artists executive rejected Ronald Reagan as the lead for the film The Best Man because he thought he didn't have a presidential look. (laughs) Reagan went on to win two of the biggest landslide election victories ever. Daryl Zanuck, a movie producer in 1946, said that television won't last because people are going to get tired of it. Now most people have multiple televisions in your house. A Boeing engineer said there will never be a bigger plane built. That was after the first flight of the Boeing 247. It's a twin-engine plane that sat 10 people. So they've gotten much bigger than that. And Alex Lewitt, a president of a vacuum company or a vacuum cleaner company, predicted in 1955 that in 10 years, nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners will be a reality. Um, they're not. <laughs> Life can be unpredictable, can it be? None of us can predict what is around the corner, but that certainly doesn't stop us from trying. And the only certainty really in life is death. Some might say taxes, but trying to live in this unpredictable life can be difficult. It can be hard at times even to make decisions or to function. I remember as a child, I would get decision paralysis even from simple things. Um, My dad would ask me, hey, do you want to go to work with me today or do you want to stay home with your mom and go to the store? And I would break down in tears and cry losing it because I couldn't decide, well, which one's going to be more fun? I just don't know. It's too unpredictable. And that overwhelmed me and it was terrifying. Now, maybe that wasn't the case for you, but there are other things that can be overwhelming or make you anxious, right? The unpredictability of elections that are right around the corner, the economy, the moral state of our culture. Maybe you're facing some uncertain circumstances in your own life. In our passage today in Ecclesiastes 11, Solomon is going to give us some wisdom on how we can live when life is unpredictable. And what we can do even when it is unpredictable and the way forward isn't always clear. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 11. and We're going to see Solomon give us a couple things we can do in response. And stand with me, or if you are able, for the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters. You will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not weep. As you do not know the way, the Spirit comes into the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So do you not know the work of God who makes everything? In the morning sow your seed. And in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that. Or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, and all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life or vanity. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would be present this morning, that you would help us. Life can be so hard. It can be difficult to know what's around the corner or what's around in the rest of our days. I pray that you would illuminate your word for us, that your Holy Spirit would come. It wouldn't be my words, but it would be your words and your power, and you would help us to see what you have to teach us pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So our first point in your bulletins is because of the unpredictability of life, be generous and work hard. Because of the unpredictability of life, be generous and work hard. Our preacher Solomon, he starts in a strange place. He begins by telling us to be generous. You would think that his advice about preparing for unpredictability would be telling us how we should invest our money. Right how we should save or make sure we got a good six month cushion just in case. But he doesn't say that. Instead his caution isn't to save our money, but to give it away. Verse one, cast your bread among the waters, for after it you will find it after many days. Now, some don't really like these verses, so they might attempt to interpret them dif- differently. Um, they think, well, this must be about investing and in sending grain across the Mediterranean Sea. And then the next verse about these portions, it's about investments. After all, I mean, the main lesson of Ecclesiastes is you're going to die, so you better make as much money as possible in diverse investments to make your life worth living. That's what we've been reading about, right? No. <laughs> Now, I don't think that interpretation is given in malice. The passage, it is a little vague and it's slightly unclear. But I think that sometimes we just find what the Bible says so offensive, we have to change it to match our assumptions. And I don't think the Bible is, and we don't like it when the Bible tells us to be generous. So it must mean something different. What is this metaphor? I mean, we can be more wasteful than throwing bread into the ocean. Even if that bread floated back to me. I don't know about you, but I'm probably not going to eat it. Take your daily bread, throw it down the river. Hand it out to the ducks. To the poor, the disabled, the widow, and the orphan. And paradoxically, God says it will return to us. It's not just throw a little of our daily bread to others, but I think it's that we should just continue to be generous and continue to pass it out. Verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on the earth. Saying give it to seven people or even to eight people is to continue in generosity, to go above and beyond. Just like where Jesus, this number seven is kind of significant in Scripture. Hey, forgive not just seven times, but seven times seven. Go even more than that. Well, don't just be generous to seven people. Go beyond that to eight. And you notice the reason behind the generosity. For you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Typically, we'd say the opposite. Right? Well, disaster might come. So since you don't know, hoard and save. God's Word says, well, you don't know what will come. So give. After all, you might lose it all anyway. I mean, disaster could come and steal all of your savings and your wealth. Recession or depression could drain your retirement account. You could die tomorrow and not need it. So be generous. Give it all away. Or give it away too because you don't know what disasters may come for others. They may desperately need what is of little consequence to you. (laughs) Or that extra meal at the restaurant for you this month might put food on someone else's table. They might not eat otherwise mentioned this morning someone in our church that's in need. That gives you a chance here to practice this generosity. And we're to be generous because in verse 2, you will find it after many days. The question kind of then is, well, what are we finding? I don't think this is a prosperity gospel. It's not saying, hey, put $100 in an offering box because then you'll get 1000 next month. It'll come back. That's not what it's saying. I think this is a reference to the life to come when Jesus returns. I don't think Jesus is going to evaluate our generosity based on how good of a return we get here on this life don't think that generosity given to charities that do awesome work will be rewarded and though we give generosity and it ends up going to a bad charity that that won't be rewarded or will be punished now i do think we should be wise don't be wasteful Um, don't be foolish but i do think that this means that even if your generosity seems wasted like giving money to someone who ends up squandering it jesus sees it and the rewards in the life to come after all Christ reminds us in the Gospels that some of the poor we've been generous to have been angels. And some of those that we have ignored and judged are angels too. Now life is unpredictable, but there are some things we can predict. Life might seem random, but we don't live in a random universe, right? Gravity stays the same. Math, for the most part, stays the same, at least on the level of math that I can handle. I don't know if it gets more complicated as you go up. But verse 3 says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls in the south or the north, in the place where it falls, there it will be. It tells us, well, sure, weather's unpredictable. You just have to watch the weather channel. But when the clouds fill up with too much moisture, they're, they're going to rain. It's going to come back down. And when trees fall, they stay where they fall. They don't stand up like ants and go for a stroll and walk around. All right? Even in an unpredictable life, there's things we can count on he says, you know, don't be paralyzed by this unpredictability. Verse 4 tells us, you know, We who observe the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not weep. I want you to picture a farmer who's paying um, special attention to the weather because they need to for their their livelihood, need to know when to to sow field and when to go when it's time to harvest. Okay, any farmer rancher would do that, but he gives us a picture of the one who is waiting for the perfect conditions before they plant their crops. Not just it's a nice day, but it needs to be exactly, you know, 72 degrees Fahrenheit, 20% humidity, slight breeze, maybe a little bit overcast. Okay, then I'll go out and I'll plant. That's kind of how I tend to act when it comes to mowing my lawn. Some of you may have noticed this. Okay, I wake up early and, well, grass is wet. I need to wait. I need to wait a little bit. Now, well, now it's dry, but it's a little too hot. So I'm going to wait till the sun goes down. Well, now, I don't have enough shade here. It's still too hot. I'll just wait till tomorrow. And before you know it, um, days and days go by and my grass keeps growing. So if you drive by my house and you see my grass is getting higher, I'm just waiting. I'm just watching the weather, waiting for the perfect day that it's going to be good to take care of this. That's why Solomon says, knock it off. Stop observing the clouds. Just work. Go out and work hard. Do what you're supposed to do. Mow your lawn. sow your seeds, reap your harvest. Yes, life is unpredictable, but we still need to do something. We don't understand life. We don't even understand how God works. But we need to work hard. We need to do what he's asked us to do. Verse 5, is: you don't know, the way of the Spirit comes into the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you don't know the work of God who makes everything. He uses an example of the miracle of conception. The wonder of how miraculous it is that, that children grow inside of a womb, how it, it goes from what appears to just be cells, but as believers we know is life, and it slowly just transforms into a child that run around and make a lot of noise in the back of our building right now. Now remember too, in Solomon's day, they didn't see all of that. They didn't see what we get to see. Only recently do we get ultrasounds, the ability to see inside the womb and the mystery. From before you just wondered, you know, many of you probably didn't get to know, well, I don't know what if it's a boy or a girl, we'll find out when it gets there. But now we, we know more mysteries. But from his perspective, you're saying you're just looking at a stomach, and you know something's growing in there, but you don't know what's happening, but you'll wait to see when it comes out. Life is much that way. We can only see it from the outside. We know God's at work, we know He's doing something, know it's going to be good, hope it's going to be awesome, but I don't know what it is, don't know how it's exactly working or when it's going to come. Solomon says, well, because God is at work, Go to work, verse 6, in the morning sow your seed. At evening withhold not your hand, for you don't know which will prosper. This or that or whether both alike will be good. You know, Work in the morning, work in the evening. You don't know what God's doing. Sure, God's unpredictable, but not because he's wild or changing, because he does not change, which is why we can put our hope in him, but because his plans are mysterious and they're incomprehensible to us. And so we should work hard even though we don't know what God will do. We should be honest in our work even though it might be costly. We should speak up when we see something that's wrong and not right. We should audition for plays, write your novel. Okay, be willing to share the gospel with a friend you have. Even just invite someone to church with you. Because you don't know. You might be successful. You might not. We don't know what the future holds in this unpredictable life. But we do know the one who holds the future. So let's follow Jesus. Let's just be, be faithful in our lives. Let's be generous. Let's work hard. Whatever it is that God has given us to do, whether it is a lot or whether it is little, big or small, let's do it. And so I mean, he tells us we should be generous, we should work hard, but our lives aren't meant to just be a to-do list. right? The point of following Jesus isn't just that we do some things or accomplish something, but point number two. He also tells us, well, because of the unpredictability of life, enjoy life. Because of the unpredictability of life, Enjoy life. He just calls us to enjoy it. This has been one of the lessons throughout Ecclesiastes 2, even in the reality of suffering and death. I mean, enjoy the good days. You don't need to be paralyzed by indecision. You don't need to be overwhelmed by the grim reality of life. Yes, life is painful. Yes, life is filled with really hard days. I'm sure many of us had days where you didn't even know if you could keep going. But the reality of the darkness does not diminish the light. Verse 7, life is sweet. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Life is dark, but it is also light. And the presence of darkness it can make the light much sweeter sometimes. After all, when's it most pleasant to see the sun? Usually, I think either at sunrise or sunset. You get to see a little bit of contrast between the light that is coming or going and the darkness follows the times i've most appreciated the beauty of the sun has been when i have been awake all night usually driving in darkness okay there's times we've driven through the night to visit family because they're further away and so that's just decisions we've made right or wrong now in the middle of the night when it's dark it's kind of the hardest to see and it's not just the hardest to see it's my least favorite time to drive Not just because I'm exhausted and tired, but really can't see anything. And then I'm just aware there's nobody on the road, and I can see eight feet in front of me, and I'm just going. But it gets better as soon as the darkness starts to shift just slightly. If you've been awake all night, you can notice it. Way before the sun begins, you can already tell the darkness is starting to get a little less dark. And then all of a sudden, you can see that bright orange sunlight and the rays peek through as the sun and the dawn shines. There's something beautiful and wonderful about even just life. Simple things like the sun rising. And we can get distracted by so much in life, our daily stresses, conflicts, or responsibilities. Get distracted by television, technology, or devices. Especially when many of them are just telling us about the darkness that's everywhere and coming this verse, is not particularly just about, hey, look up at the sun and pay attention to it, okay, because if you stare at the sun, that's bad for your eyes too much, so don't do that either. Okay, but it's a call for us to look at the beauty and the light in the world that God has made it. Okay, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, yes, sin and death entered the world, and the world that we live in, it's broken, it's fractured. You know, there's no shalom, there's no peace, there's no wholeness, but it doesn't mean that there's no beauty. It doesn't mean that there's no goodness anymore. The curse made work hard. It didn't make work evil. Okay, the curse made childbearing very painful, but it did not eliminate the joy that comes when you hear that baby's cry and you see its face for the first time. There is sin and there is evil in the world, but there is also holiness and righteousness and beauty to be found right now, even here. Sometimes you might just need to wake up early and go watch the sunrise. Okay, go drive up to the wildlife refuge and look at some of those mountains. Is sit outside your window and watch the snow as it covers the ground and everything outside. At night, drive outside the city or to a field far away from the lights and just look up and see how many stars you can see. Maybe even try to count them. There are times um, when I get stuck in my own sermon prep or study that I just walk outside and sit on the bench and look at the trees and just gaze up. And for a few moments, I'm like, "Wow, this is a pretty cool world you made, God." That's what He's calling us to do. Verse 8, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. And all that comes is vanity. I and mean, however many years you have, and none of us know how many we have left, though we all try to guess, it tells us to rejoice in all of them. To enjoy it. To, knowing that the darkness is there. Knowing that there's going to be days where it's hard to get out of bed and maybe you won't be able to. Knowing that there will be days where you're stuck at the hospital again and they can't give you enough to dull the pain. Knowing all of that, still, enjoy the beauty that God has given us here and now. It doesn't mean we have to ignore reality. It's not a call for, you know, kind of foolish optimism that just pretends everything's fine, even if it's all on fire. Okay, no, you can acknowledge there's a lot of days of darkness. You don't have to pretend everything's okay when it's not. Someone can ask you how you're doing today and you don't have to lie. You can just admit, hey, I'm doing terrible. It's one of these days of darkness. But we can also acknowledge that not all of life is dark. That there is beauty to be found. And it reminds us, you know, all is vanity or vaporous. Vaporous is kind of my favorite translation of that word, vanity or meaningless. Because it's just a reminder that life is just a breath. It's quick. You blink and it's over. My sons just had both of their birthdays. It feels like they were just born. Okay, those of you with a few more years than me, you know how fast they go. In the blink of an eye, they all keep slipping away. So just enjoy this moment, right? The, the more, more you have, the more you recognize how quickly life goes, the better I think you can appreciate it today in the moment because you know it's ticking down. Verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He tells them to, you know, let their heart cheerfully enjoy what God has made. Learn this from my kids. They're really good at delighting in ordinary things. All right, our dining room table, it's got big windows. We've got a bird feeder outside. Certain parts of the year, there's always birds in the bird feeder. Not right now, but other times. There's not birds, there's squirrels. And they're climbing the trees, they're getting in the flower bed, they're eating all our pecans. And for my young children, it's exciting every single time. For me, it's boring. I've seen a lot more squirrels. They're just, I've seen them in my attic. They're, just, they're a nuisance. I want to get rid of the squirrels. But for them, it's, Daddy, look, a squirrel. It's jumping. Why? They're just enjoying the creation that God has made. They're delighting in it. Now, when we get older, we can forget. Or even when we're younger, we're in too much of a hurry to notice. Solomon said, hey, young man, rejoice in your youth. Let your heart find cheer in the ordinary things that God's made. Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are a vanity. I don't think this is a call for us to ignore our pain or our emotions, but it is a call to put away anger and frustration. Look, life's too short to always be vexed and angry. One of the things i found, at least personally, uh, most of the times that I'm angry, it's because I don't have the right perspective or attitude. Usually expecting a certain thing to happen in a particular way, and then it doesn't, and my anger boils up. I'm expecting my four-year-old to act like a well-behaved 16-year-old. And when he acts like a four-year-old, I might get angry. Because, no, why, why are you doing that? You should do this. Or we get angry when sinners who don't know Jesus act like sinners who don't know Jesus and believe things that... People who don't know Jesus believe, and then we get angry. How could you do that, person who doesn't know Jesus? Why don't you... Man, that's... Life's too short to be angry all the time. Don't spend it angry. Don't spend it constantly in pain, dwelling on the pain that you feel, though it is true and real. I mean, look for the little beauty that's around you and just enjoy it. I think we saw this with Jesus. Okay? Jesus knew exactly how short his life would be. Down to the very moment of his death and the minute of his ascension up into earth. He always knew exactly how long he was going to live. He knew exactly what his death would be, which none of us would look forward to or sign up for. And he knew when it was coming. And he knew how painful it would be. He knew that Judas would betray him. I can't help but wonder, you know, if he ever looked down at his hands and and just knew where those scars were going to be. And thought about it. But he didn't spend his life anxious the only time we really see Jesus anxious is in the garden and the hours before his death is actually coming. So he spent most of his life enjoying life and obeying God. I would have spent a lot more of my life anxious. Even in his mission, right, as the Messiah and the Savior, even in those three short years of ministry that he had where he was proclaiming the gospel and he was healing the sick and he was teaching God's word, he made time for children to come and sit on his lap. No, don't keep them from coming to me. He made time for his disciples, even though they were often knuckleheads and didn't understand what he was doing. He made time for sinners like Zacchaeus. He made time for women who went in their house and sat. He made time even for his enemies, the Pharisees. I would have said, I don't have time for you. I'm too busy. I've got three years. Yet Jesus made time for them. spent the first 30 years of his life in ordinary obscurity, working as a carpenter, okay, just being obedient to God, just enjoying him in his ordinary, regular life. There's something to learn there. Now, if we aren't careful, right, this sermon can sound a little too much like generic wisdom. It could just sound like a popular self-help book with a cool title that sold thousands of copies. Not the one, not the title of this sermon, obviously, but, you know, a better one. Uh, But we don't need empty encouragement to just, hey, enjoy life, it's great. We we really do need the gospel. What what is significant about this? Verse 3, or point number 3. So because of the unpredictability of life, Follow Jesus. Because of the unpredictability of life and the unpredictability of life's end. You need to follow Jesus. I don't want you to get the wrong impression from the sermon. Okay, I don't want someone to be able to take this and apply it to their life, be generous, work hard, enjoy all the beauty around them, and do all of that without Jesus. Because you'll find out when you stand before the judgment seat of God that you miss something incredibly important. So what's uniquely Christian about this idea what Solomon is calling us towards? What does the gospel have to do with this? What does the the reality of life and death and the resurrection of Jesus have to do with enjoying life and its unpredictability? We see this in the key phrase of verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Did you catch that key phrase? Know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. I think that's part of the key to the whole book of Ecclesiastes. We'll see it next week. It's the last two verses in chapter 12. Life life is vaporous. It is quick. And you're all going to die. Most of what we chase in life is not going to satisfy you. And then you'll die after that. But the most important thing for all of us to keep in mind is that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of God. And standing before him, all of our actions will not be meaningless anymore. They will have more meaning than we could ever possibly have imagined. So we shouldn't just go and be generous just because it's a good idea or it's nice advice. We should be generous because we are trying to follow Jesus. Lots of people on earth can give away more money than we could ever imagine. They like you give it away for tax reasons or to get buildings named after them or any other impure motive. Being generous without following Jesus isn't going to earn you anything except for more judgment when you come before him. Don't just go and work hard to make the most of your days. Okay, work hard because you're following Jesus, because you love Jesus. Work hard as if you're working for Jesus, because you are. And one day you're going to show up at the boss's office and answer to him. Or just being productive isn't going to impress God very much if that's all we have. Hey, look at what I accomplished. Say, well, what did you do for me? What did you do with me? And don't just enjoy life. Don't just go around, you know, with the heart full, looking at flowers in nature. Enjoy life because we love God. should enjoy life because we are following Jesus. You should enjoy life because we are examining the beauty of the world, and it makes us want to worship Him. It makes us want to sing and to shout and to praise Him. From seeing the Rocky Mountains to looking at a butterfly. It should lead us to worshiping Him. None of this means, you know, do whatever you want. It means enjoy God, enjoy life, and then honor God in how you are enjoying your life. Okay? He gave us life. It's a gift. We should appreciate it. We should be grateful for it. And we should put away our anger and our vexation and our grief, not because they're evil emotions, but because we're trying to guard our souls. Because we understand one day we're going to stand before God. We're going to have to answer for all of our outbursts of anger. And on that day, I think we'll find out that most of our outbursts of anger were not quite as righteous as we thought they were. My anger is always righteous anger because of the sin. I'm sure you might feel the same way. Well, I have a feeling most of our anger is maybe not as righteous as we believe it is. And one day we'll find out. So maybe we should live today as if that's true. So we do all of these things. We enjoy life, but we enjoy them knowing that we will be brought into judgment before God. And the reality of that judgment is really bad news if you're not following Jesus. The reality of that is terrible news if Jesus is not your Lord and your Savior. Because the wages of sin is death. And the sentence that God is going to pass on all who have not given their lives to Jesus is eternal death. Not because God is cruel, but because He is just. And justice demands it. And when he reads down that rap sheet, there's going to be so much evil and wickedness that every single sinner is going to have to admit, you know what, God, I, I deserve it. You're right. I can't deny it. Because you've got an account of every single thing that I've done, and it's a long one. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And there is eternal life that's available to us, but it's a gift. It's not something we earn through right living or being generous or working hard, but it's something that was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus Christ, he died on the cross for our sins. When God read out all of our sins, because he knew what they would be, before um, he even spoke the world into existence, and before we were born, and he pronounced death, Jesus raised up his hand and said, I'll take their sentence. I'll take their punishment. I'll endure it. I'll die so that they can live. And mercy and justice, they collided at the cross in the person of Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you can receive that gift of eternal life. If we put our faith in Jesus, we don't have to fear that judgment, right? So I want you to walk away from this with a heavy burden on your back because the gospel lifts it off of us. And because the gospel sets us free, we should live wisely. Because we have nothing to fear when we walk into that room, hopefully we should want to walk into that room Having plenty that we're happy about. Understanding the profound gift that Jesus has given us should lead us to following him in every single thing that we do. It should lead us to following him now. Right? Some Christians, they understand the beauty um, of eternal life in heaven and what a profound gift that it is, but they don't really recognize the profound gift that they've been given right now, today. Or we can overlook it. But if we follow Jesus, yes, we're going to get to live forever and he's already paid our sentence and there's great grace for us, but we also get to taste a little bit of eternal life right now. We can get glimpses and foreshadows of heaven. Now, where have we kind of been this morning? Life is unpredictable, so we should be generous, work hard, enjoy life, but above all, we should follow Jesus. Because if you're not following Jesus, you're going to miss out on what this whole life is about. I'm going to was thinking about this, you know, who we shouldn't be. So we shouldn't be like a child who's ignoring ignoring the present their parents just gave them because um, they want something else. Okay, again, my kids had their birthdays and we gave them presents. They got a lot of presents, it seemed like, and we give them to them one at a time because we don't overwhelm them. They go too crazy if they've got too much stuff. But they knew there were more presents coming, so they would open a present. They would play with it and they'd be so excited and jumping. Oh, daddy, I'm so excited. This is great. Thank you. Thank you. And then they're playing with it for a few minutes and then say, okay, I want another present. And he wanted to say, okay, well, at the end of the day, Calvin, you'll, you're going to have the rest of your presents. And so then it became, is the day over yet? Is the day over yet? I want another present. And it would just drive you nuts, right? Well, you just, you just got this. Let's play with this for five minutes before we get something else? Can we just enjoy the wow that's happening now, like the great theologian Daniel Tiger? Okay? Well, some of us Christians can act like that, too. When you say, Jesus, well, earth is okay, but I really like the new life that's to come, the new heavens, the new earth. Heaven. That sounds really great. You know, I know there's some stuff you gave us down here, but I, I don't really like it that much. Can we just skip it, please? Can I have another present? Can I have another gift? I don't like the life that you've given me. Can you give me something else? I don't like the work that you've put in front of me. Can I have a different one? Can I have something else that you give me to do? And God is saying, why don't you just follow me right now? Why don't you just follow me here with whatever I've given you, big and small. Life is really short. You're going to be with God in a few moments. So cast your bread on the waters.
1: Do what Jesus has
0: asked you to do today. Rejoice in all the years that he's given you because you're going to see him soon. You don't need to be in a hurry. I invite our worship team to come up as a close us in prayer. Lord, I ask that you would, um, well, first, before I ask, I would just thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the beauty of everything that you have given us in this world. Lord, the beauty of music, of song, the fact that you invented notes, that we string them together and we get chords, and we put more of them together and we have a melody. And it sounds wonderful and that somehow we, when all of our voices go together it sounds great even if some of us singing by ourselves like me don't sound that good. But what you have made is glorious and thank you that we can use it to, to sing to you and to give glory to you. Lord, thank you for joy that you've given us the ability to feel things in our hearts that life is not just monotony but that we can feel moments of ecstasy and happiness and laughter. Lord, thank you for, for friendships. That there are in love and relationships. There are people we can see that even if they're not our family, they're a church family. We see their faces and it brings us joy and gladness. And that being together ministers to our souls. Lord, thank you for these ordinary things like grass and trees and flowers. Air that we can breathe. the Hands, just being able to touch and to feel things. Food that we can taste and eat and things that we can see. Lord, you've given us so much, and we just want to skip over it all the time and get to the next present. Lord, help us to just appreciate and enjoy the life that you have given us here and now because we know that it is short, and we know that the life to come is coming. So would you help us to enjoy what you've given us now, even as we anticipate what's to come, because what you've already given us should blow our minds every day just like it blows the minds of children. Forgive us for forgetting. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing and shout to our Lord once more. Amen. This benediction from the end of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Now by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Go in peace.